Good morning, Calvary Satterton. It's good to see you all. And good morning, Calvary Quakertown. It's good to see you folks as well this morning. Thanks for joining us on this uh, beautiful June morning. And we, our prayer has been that you'll be glad that you spent this time with us, not because you felt good, but because life's a little different because you've gathered with us. We're in a series that we're calling Continuing What Jesus Started. And it's a series all about reminding ourselves that we're not here to accomplish any other mission than just to continue what Jesus started. As simple and as complex as that is. Every once in a while, I receive uh, emails, text messages during the week, usually words of encouragement, edification, and challenge. Uh, this is the kind of text message I get. Yeah, this message came uh, toward the end of the week, and it just said at the bottom, enough said. I'm not sure if that meant enough was said already, we don't need a message this morning, or what that is, but yeah, but that's the Zimmerman boring truck. Uh, and so just for that, I'm going to try to be extra boring today for that. <laughs> well, the, last week we looked at the beginning part of 2 Timothy chapter 3, which is all about culture. And if you were here last week, uh, you remember that we looked at our culture because Paul tells Timothy to look at his culture. You see, understanding what's happening in our culture, in the world around us, is not optional. It's essential to continuing what Jesus started. But you need to know more than what's happening around us. You need to know, what, you need to know what's happening in the Scripture, which is God's story, and he included us in his story. So at the end of 2 Timothy 3, we find probably the most famous passage on Scripture in the Bible. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy 3, and I'm going to read uh, beginning in verse 14, and I'll read through the end of the chapter, and then we're going to kind of play with those few verses for the rest of our very boring time together today. Uh, verse 14 of 2 Timothy 3. But as for you, Paul writing to Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you have learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. As I said, those last two verses, 16 and 17, are the most famous verses in the Bible about Scripture itself. So we're going to spend most of our time kind of camping there and working through. But whenever you read a passage in the Bible, particularly if you work with the passage the way we're working through 2 Timothy, we need to remind ourselves of the context because the verses appear in a context. And if you remember from what I said a couple of minutes ago, the context that we find those verses on Scripture is culture. Now, when we talk about culture, it's always a good news, bad news situation. Now, why is culture a good news, bad news situation? Because people are a good news, bad news deal. And human beings are the creators of culture. And if human beings are a good news, bad news story, then certainly what they create is going to be a good news, bad news story. Well, what's the good news and the bad news when it comes about people? Well, if you read the Bible, you discover the really, really good news about people is that human beings are made in the image of God. 
And that image of God is not destroyed, it's not obliterated when human beings rebel against God. They still bear the vestiges of that image. Therefore, human beings can create wonderful, beautiful things. That's part of the good news. The good news is we're made in God's image. The good news is that God looked at human beings and poured himself into those people. And because of that image of God, human beings do incredibly wonderful things. The bad news part of the human story is that human beings decided they were not going to follow God and his plan. They were going to follow their own plan because they thought they were a little smarter and a little better than God. And they rebelled against God. So God says, walk this way. They decided to walk that way. And all hell broke loose. That's why human beings can do the most horrible, just destructive things. Because we're living in rebellion against God. You see, only those that understand something about the Bible have the foundation to look at what we see in the world and be able to explain the good news, bad news scenario. If you don't have the image of God peace, you don't understand how human beings can do great things. And if you don't have the bad news part, you don't understand how human beings can do terrible things. Human beings are a good news, bad news deal because we're made in God's image, but we're living in rebellion to him. Well, if that's true when it comes to people, and people are the creators of culture, then we would expect that cultures would also be a good news, bad news deal. You've experienced that, maybe without knowing it, the past two weeks. In fact, we had two cultural songs that we started the services with. Last week, we had the Chris Stapleton song, Broken Halos. Now, that's a good news, bad news kind of deal, right? In Broken Halos, Chris sings about the brokenness and the bondage that he sees all around him. People are broken and bound. Don't you see that? We can even go further. You don't only see brokenness and bondage when you look outside. You see brokenness and bondage when you look inside, right? I mean, the Bible even goes deeper than what Chris was singing about. And the song is all about longing for healing, longing for freedom. But the song ends before the solution's given. But do you see that? Do you see how the cultural song is leading? How about the song this morning from Coldplay and Chainsmokers? Something just like this. The song is all about um, knowing that we're weak, knowing that we're flawed, but knowing that, re- that the requirement for life, we need, we need to be a superhero, but we're not. But we still long to be loved and accepted, even though we're not superheroes. And the superheroes of the present are just continuations of the myths and the legends of the past. Human beings have always known that life is too big and injustice is too big for us to stand against it. But we long to be strong. We long to be able to bring justice. And we long to be loved. And so the song's all about, I know I'm not a superhero. I know I'm weak and I'm frail. But the chorus says, but somebody loves you. I still care about you. But here's the truth of that deal. Only Jesus can sing that part. Because you look anywhere else, you look at your work, you look at a relationship, you look at a relationship with someone even that's near and dear to you, that relationship is built on performance and what you give. It's not built on grace and nothing else. Jesus sings the chorus of that song. See how it works? Culture gives us the themes, but the themes have to be completed. The themes have to be recycled by understanding the gospel. So what Paul's saying to Timothy is, 
Timothy, you need to know more than the Bible. You need to know culture and the Bible so that when you're reading the two stories, you can understand the values and the narratives people are reading their lives into. But then you can take the ultimate story and you can put them together and say, now let me finish that story for you. Let me take those themes that you know are real in your heart and show you how the real ultimate solution is given in the Bible, not in the song. So that works. That's the context. That's why Paul's doing what he's doing in 2 Timothy 3. So that's the good news, bad news context of culture and scripture. Well, let me make a few observations on our key verses, okay? So here are the two verses that we're going to camp out for the rest of our time together. I'll read them from my Bible. We're not going to put them up there. (laughs) All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, all I'm going to do is just make a few observations. Um, And you've got to trust me here. Um, I'm going to try to show great restraint here, all right? Theologians, expositors... They have written thousands and thousands, maybe millions of pages on these verses, right? I'm going to try to do it in three hours or less. <laughs> well, the first thing that you notice is Paul says to Timothy right before these verses, now, Timothy, remember, you've been instructed well. You've had three different people shape you. Allow that shaping to take root. He had his mother, Lois, his grandmother, Eunice, and Paul, his mentor, speak into his life. I don't know about you, but when I read Paul write about Lois and Eunice, in my mind they're sitting with little Timmy on the bed and they're looking at their picture Bible together, right? And they're, going, and they're singing the song. They're singing Jesus Loves Me songs. They're singing Two Little Fishes. Uh, they're singing With Christ in My Vessel. And, and Timothy's kind of taking it, and then Paul shows up in Lystra's hometown, and Paul kind of cinches the deal when he, say, when he presents Jesus as the promised Old Testament king and savior. And Timothy says, that's what I've been longing for. Mom and grandma laid the foundation. Paul, it's all making sense now. His heart was open. He trusts Jesus. And then Paul says, I want you to become my assistant and travel with me. That's the background. Well, what does it mean that scripture is God-breathed? The older translation, which some of you may have, or maybe you've memorized these verses, says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And to tell you the truth, I'm glad that the NIV doesn't use inspiration because that's really a confusing, misleading word. For example, when I say inspiration, maybe you think of artists, authors, athletes that just play inspired. Well, not in Philadelphia, but you know, other cities. Some of those athletes play with great inspiration. And so what does inspiration mean in those contexts? When when the athletes were playing an inspired game, it means they're playing above themselves. So does Paul say, hey, Timothy, just want you to know, when the guys sat down and wrote the Bible, they were really playing better than they knew. Well, that's not only what he's saying. Or maybe maybe it means this. Scripture is given by inspiration. So all the authors were just kind of sitting there, completely passive. God spoke, and they very robotically just kind of wrote down what God said through the dictation method. No, that's not what happened. In fact, here's how we know that that didn't happen. When you read Isaiah, you know you're not reading Jeremiah. Isaiah was very reserved. You don't learn too much about what's going on inside of him. You read Jeremiah, he's a crybaby, angry nut, right? And then you read Ezekiel, he's psychotic, right? 
And so when you read Ezekiel, you know you're not reading Isaiah. When you read Jeremiah, you know you're not reading Paul. When you read John, you know you're not reading uh, someone else. They all write very, they write from their background. They write from their experience. They write with their vocabulary, with their, with their stories in the background. But God somehow superintended. He designed them. He built them. He took them through life with certain experiences. And then he used all of that to have them write exactly what he wanted written. God breathed it. They wrote it in their own style. How does that work? It's kind of a mystery. I like the God breathed reference because it works like this. I got a little assignment for you. I take your hand. Wake up, everybody. Take your hand. Come on, everybody's got to do You got to do this or you can't leave. Put it right in front of your mouth, right? Real close. You know, the way you're checking your breath before you're meeting that cute girl or a guy, right? Here you go. I put it right there. Now, I'm going to have you say something out loud. Here you go. Wait, do I say it? And then you can say it. I wish Charles would preach longer, maybe two hours a week. All right, say that. I, say it loud. I wish Charles would preach longer, two hours a week. Did you feel anything on your hand? Yeah. You felt breath come out as you spoke. That's what Paul's saying to Timothy. When you read the Bible, it's God breathed. God spoke this stuff. He he used human authors, and they wrote with their own personality, their own background, their own idiosyncrasies, but they were writing what God was saying. Therefore, when you read the Bible, you're reading God's Word. That's amazing, isn't it? That's what Paul says to Timothy. And so think about how you have to do certain things because it's so important to you. You have to read the syllabus for the course. You have to read the instructions that came from your boss. You have to read the items of the contract in great detail. So you know what you do? You write the contract and you check it very carefully, making sure your attorney is earning all of his money. You do all of that. You want to know something? God gave us this book. It's God-breathed, and we throw it on a shelf. We leave it in our phone. We never open the tablet to give any time or consideration to what God says. That's kind of indicting, isn't it? All Scripture, God breathed. That's incredible. Well, here's another observation I want to make. You see that word correcting. So right after it says all Scripture is God breathed, Paul then actually gives two couplets. Uh, You don't really see that in English, but there are two couplets. The first two are teaching, rebuking. And you notice teaching and rebuking are all about thinking, all about knowledge. That's doctrine stuff. So all scriptures God breathed. God gave us the Bible so we think correctly and believe correctly. The first pair has to do with thinking. The second pair does not have to do with thinking. Look at what it says. Correcting and training. That's not thinking stuff. That's doing stuff. So the one pair is God breathed his word so we'll think and believe correctly. God breathed his word so we'll behave and live correctly. They go together, never separated. Separating them, separating them into, well, I believe the right stuff, I just live like hell. That's kind of a new invention. God never gave it that way. If you know the terms of the contract, but you don't fulfill the terms of the contract, you break the contract. So God gives us his word to know, and God gives us his word to live. Now, the word for correcting there comes from the root, a Greek word, that you actually know what it means. The Greek word that forms the root of correcting is the word Ortho, not the drug company, but ortho. So let me add, now be honest. How many of you ever wore braces? Raise your hands. Good, all the ones with straight teeth. Good, okay, lower your hands. 
How many of you ever had to wear headgear? Yeah, I was going to ask for pictures of that, right? Because that's always cool to put. I'm not going to there. Yeah. Where do you go to get the braces or to get the headgear? You, you go to an orthodontist, right? Same word, ortho. The word ortho just means straight, straight. You go to the straight teeth guy, right? Dante's teeth. You go to the guy that makes your Dante straight. God gave us his Bible so that we will live straight. That's the idea. You're not going to live crooked. You're not going to live walking on both sides of the street. You're going to live straight. Just like you go to the orthodontist to get straight teeth, we should go to the scripture to get straight beliefs and straight lives. So the Bible was breathed out by God. So we'll think correctly and we'll live correctly. Ortho, straight living, not crooked living. Well, there's one more uh, idea, one more observation. If the Bible is breathed out by God, and it's his word, that means he is the ultimate author. There were human authors, and we see their personality differences, but the Bible is also authored primarily, ultimately, by God. And you've heard me say this numerous times, because I don't know if you get it or not, so I'm going to say it again. The author always has authority. The manufacturer's instructions should be followed. If not, you take your life in your hands. Now, I've collected some... Uh, Really good manufacturer instructions. Some of you may not follow these, and so we're going to put them on the screen just so you'll know. Here's a kind of helpful hints from Charles on manufacturer instructions. Now, this is a sleeping pill, and on the box it says, may cause drowsiness. I surely hope so, right? Uh, a sleeping pill. Now, here, here was an interesting one, and uh, this is true. If you buy the Superman costume, you need to know that it does not enable flight. Or super strength. You're kidding, right? Uh, here's one for those of you that have tools you may need to know. Do not use the, hold the wrong end of the chainsaw. Because if you hold the wrong end, Charles may pass out if he's there because it's going to be a red mess pretty soon. Uh, how about this one? This is a flush brush. You know what a flush brush? Men, a flush brush, that, that's the thing you use to clean you know, the little bowl. On the box it says, do not use for personal hygiene. Particularly after you've, well, anyway. Uh. Now, this is uh, on a carton of eggs that was actually recorded. On the carton of eggs, it says, this product may contain eggs. It's a carton of eggs! I think we have one more. Oh, no, we don't. I had a couple of really good ones. Uh, anyway. Now, why do I say that? Because if you're the author, the manufacturer, the creator of something, you have the right, you have the responsibility to tell you, those that may use that product how to use it safely and well. And if you don't follow the directions of the manufacturer, the manufacturer's not responsible for what results. Scripture is God-breathed, so you'll believe correctly, straight, and you'll have straight living. You want to live apart from God's breathed word? Life's just not going to work, is it? Uh, I have a lock on my locker. That's interesting, lock on your locker. I have a lock on my locker. And it's a combination lock. And I'm really glad it's a combination lock because I would always forget or lose the key, but it's a combination. I kind of remember the combination. But just suppose, I was thinking of this yesterday as I was opening my locker, I thought, 
Just suppose I say, you know, who came up with this turn it right, then left two times, then back? Who came up with that stupid idea? I don't want to follow those instructions. I want to turn it left first, then right only once, then left again. You want to know something? I'll never get in the darn locker, right? Well, in a simple way, that's kind of like how life works. God says, I've breathed my word. This is what right belief looks like. This is what right living looks like. And if you believe rightly, if you live straightly, then life will work. You'll live in sync with how things should be. If you're going to live in opposition to that, life's not going to work. And the good news, bad news of that situation, every single one of us in this room are living examples of the truth of that. We have bruises and some brokenness and pain on the inside, and we've caused our share of brokenness and pain on the outside with other people because we've lived apart from what God says. And we also have lived in sync with what he says, maybe a little bit every now and then, and we experience the benefit that comes from that, right? I mean, in a sense, we don't even need the God-breathed book for this. If you do what God says, life will kind of work. If you don't do what God says, life's not going to work. So those are a few observations from the key verses on on God's breathed book. Let's make a couple applications now. Here's what I want to say by way of application. And uh, these just kind of roll right off. If this really is God breathed, you'd be a fool to never check out what it says. Wouldn't you? If this really comes from God, the one that made you, designed you, and one day the one before whom you'll stand, you'd be a real stupid person to not never check out what's in here. So I would, one application would be, why don't you read it? You know, good place. Read 2 Timothy. We're still going to be there a couple more weeks. Read it. Read it this week. Read a chapter a day. You get a couple days to miss, and next week you'll be ready to go. Maybe there's some things you want to memorize. In fact, the two verses we're looking at today, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, they're great verses to memorize, right? All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof. That's great to kind of, because then you remind yourself, hey, wait a minute, this is not just an inspired book by somebody living or writing above his head or her head. This is God's book, right? So memorize those. Or maybe you want to memorize the key verse that we're using for the series, 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. The things that you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust of reliable people who will in turn tell, the, tell others also. That's the relay race verse, right? Memorize, read it and memorize it. Share it with others. Get together in a small group and fight about it, right? Here's what I think. Here's what I think. And you kind of have a debate about it, right? The answer to the debate should be what God says about it, though right? But I don't want to talk about those two obvious applications. I want to talk about two uh, that really should be obvious that maybe aren't. Here's one that calls to mind our paradigm from the beginning of 2 Timothy 2. Remember when we looked at the three occupational metaphors from the beginning of 2 Timothy 2? We looked at the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. Remember that? If you weren't here that week, you can go online and get that, right? The soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. And then at the end of the three metaphors, I love what Paul says. Now, I'm not going to say any more about this, Timothy. Think about it. God will show you what he wants. Right? So you think about it too. But here's what we played with. There's a paradigm that each of the pictures fit into. And the paradigm is authority, regimen, results. There's always an authority. 
the authority always lays down a regimen or a blueprint or a playbook. If you follow the playbook, you will then reap a harvest or results. But the paradigm always traces back to the authority. And we talked about the author being the authority. We talked about the manufacturer being... Well, here's what we need to do. If you want a real application from what we're talking about today, we need a regime change. That's what we need. Because if truth be told, none of us in this room lives consistently with Jesus as the authority. None of us in this room believes and lives out the playbook that Jesus gives the Bible. Therefore, we're reaping a paradoxical harvest. Some good fruit, some bad fruit. We need a regime change. It's an authority issue that then everything else flows from. You know, as you read through the Gospels, you find a phrase that appears all the time. Repent and believe. Now, since we're in church and you read that, it's in the Bible. Oh, that, that's really religious stuff. That's not religious stuff. I mean, those words didn't start out being religious. Here's what repent and believe means. Give up the agenda you're living by and adopt a new agenda. Give up the authority that's calling the shots in your life and adopt a new authority. Every authority brings a playbook. Give up the authority and give up the playbook you're living by and adopt a new authority. How about adopting Jesus as the authority? Live according to the playbook that he gives and the harvest will be amazing. That's the first application. You need a regime change. And... Uh, that's from the beginning to the end in the Bible. Ever since we turned our backs on God and have run from him, repent, give up that other authority, and believe, trust Jesus as the rightful authority, and start living according to his playbook. Here's a, another application, uh, and you've heard me say this before. We need to ask and answer three questions. In fact, I go so far as to say, we need to ask and answer three questions every single time we read the Bible. We need to ask and answer three questions every time you're in an ABF. You need to ask and answer three questions every time you're in a small group talking about the Bible. You need to ask and answer three questions every sermon, right? Every, I better answer these three questions or you come see me afterward, all right? Every message had better be answering these three questions. First of all, what does the passage tell me about God? What's it tell me about God? Well, from the verses that we read, it tells us that God really cares about us, right? Um, he doesn't leave us to our own devices. He breathes his word because he cares. He wants us to experience a good, wonderful harvest, not a wretched harvest. God breathes his word. God wants us to know about his love and his care, his protection, his provision. God breathes his word. God wants us to experience a good harvest. Therefore, he gives us a playbook in sync with how he created things, following the right combination for life, not the wrong combination for life. So it teaches us a lot about God. It also teaches us about ourselves. What does the passage teach me about me? Usually, the passages in the Bible will say this about you. You're a mess. You're a screw-up. That's what it's saying. Um, over and over and over again, right? Here's God loving, God's kind. God gives us his word. What about me? Uh, I turn my back on God's word. I'm going to do it my own way. I try to do this. I try to do that. What's the whole context of the end of 2 Timothy 3, the beginning of 2 Timothy 3? Remember the three values of culture we talked about last week? Me first, my way, my truth, my preference. Remember that? that that's a, we live according to that script all the time. So what does the passage teach me about me? It's teaching me that I will often follow the me first 
paradigm, not the Jesus first paradigm. That's what pretty much every passage is going to say. But here's the problem. Most often when we read the Bible, certainly when we talk about it in small groups, maybe in our ABFs, maybe when we're with friends, we don't ask the third question. You're not done until you ask the third question. The third question is, how does this passage lead me to Jesus? If you don't answer that question, you have just used the Bible as self-help. Self-help is no help, friends. If you say, this is what God wants, and here's what, I'm really going to get my life in shape. I'm going to try to do what God wants. If you don't ask and answer the third question, you have just Oprahized the text. You have just doctor-filled the Bible. That passage had better lead you, lead you to Jesus. And if it's not leading you to Jesus, you're not reading the Bible properly. The Bible has a point and a purpose. The point is Jesus. The purpose is to lead us to him. And that Bible, that section, that text had better do that or we're not answering the third absolutely essential question. So it goes like this. Question number one, how does this passage lead me to Jesus? Question two, should I live in sync with what God says? Absolutely. But that's always the second, not the first thing. The first thing is, how did Jesus do this perfectly before you answer, how can I fix what I'm doing? See, it kind of works like this. We read earlier in this letter where Paul writes about the gospel, and he says it like this. Remember Jesus Christ. Now remember, right, Paul wrote one letter. He didn't write it in chunks the way we're reading it, right? So right before this, Paul writes, remember Jesus, raised from the dead, descended from David. You know what? That would be a good verse for you to have typed somewhere, and every time you read the Bible, put that there. Remember Jesus. Because lots of Christians, lots of church people, they read the Bible, they forget Jesus. So be really good. Remember Jesus. When you're regardless of where you're reading, remember Jesus. Raised from the dead, descended from David. Paul writes, this is my gospel. Jesus is the good news. The good news isn't, oh, I know what God requires. I'm going to try really, really, really hard to do it. That's not good news. That's a mess. The good news is, Jesus lived every syllable of God's breathed word perfectly. That's the message of the Bible. He did not err sidestep inside or outside at all. He fulfilled it perfectly. And he still paid the penalty for breaking God's word. He fulfilled it perfectly, therefore no penalty. But then he pays the penalty. What's up with that? So that those who deserve to pay the penalty and have their penalty paid by him. Remember Jesus. Resurrected, raised from the dead. Descendant of David. The king who sits on that throne forever and ever. This is my gospel. I sure hope that's your gospel. Application. You need a regime change. Whenever you read the Bible, whenever you hear the Bible talked about it, you listen to a sermon on the radio, you put it on TV, you listen to an iPad thing, download it. If they don't answer the three questions, you make sure you answer all of them. What am I learning about God? What am I learning about me? And how is this, whatever it is, leading me to Jesus? Because whenever we read and whenever we live, we better remember Jesus. He is our gospel.
Will you stand? I'm going to close our time in prayer. But don't leave. Father, we give you thanks for the fact that you breathed out the words to the book we hold in our hands or the words that are on our iPhones or the words that are on our tablets. But Lord, they're just words on a page or words on a screen until we read them, until we believe them, until we live them. And so, Father, I ask that you would help us this morning to conduct a regime change. Every one of us has Jesus as the authority and some other stuff as the authority too. What do you say today we uh, seal the deal and make it Jesus only? And then, Lord, help us to be students of this book, students of your God-breathed scriptures. But help us never to close it until we answer all three questions. What are we learning about you? A wonderful, magnificent, creative, powerful God. Silly me. Foolish me. Who turn my back, turns my back on that wisdom regularly and runs in a different direction. Thank you, Jesus, for paying my penalty and issuing my way back home. Acceptance and love even though we're something far less than superheroes, people that we read about, you welcome us home. Thanks, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.
so great to know that the God who commands armies of angels is on our side. Thank you so much for joining us today. We'll have people down front to pray with you. Otherwise, we'll see you next week.